Production. Recorded live. Hey man, it's good to be with everybody. Uh, this is Paul Hewitt. Uh, I don't deserve that introduction. I appreciate it, Brother Rod, but um, I just I would just like to count myself a humble servant of God. So I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, he's probably done way too much hyping um, for this <laughs> Bible study. I hope hope it's not a letdown. But uh, one thing about it, the Bible says that when God's word goes out, it doesn't return unto him void. Um, so um, just as, as we're going through this and you think about it, just say a little prayer that God uh, will get his message across and that he will accomplish what he wants to tonight uh, through us, that we can just be open vessels. And um, I've just been praying that God will touch our hearts and our minds, let us hear and let it take root and let us believe. Um, as Pastor Rod was saying earlier, um, you know, as a founder of this spiritual go and gogospel.com, and um, he, he does a great work. I know this is not about praising Rod, but uh, Rod, I love you. I appreciate you. Um, and I love and appreciate everyone that's here. So uh, we'll get right into it. As uh, Rod said, uh, he, he doesn't know if uh, I'll be able to whip this in 30 minutes, but uh, I'm going to give it my best effort. So, all right. So the title of tonight's Bible study, The Altar is Coming. Um, again, I know following the um, progression of Ready, Aim, Fire uh, after the uh, faith and works um, and then the suit up, and now the altar is coming. doesn't make much sense, but um, that's the way I like it. So here we go. Uh, first point, um, expecting to receive. I'll elaborate more on the title uh, when we get down to that part, but um, here in the outline I've included Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, um, and I want to go through that and read real quick. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on them, on him, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered in the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, you know, this story in itself, this passage is powerful enough. Um, but this hit me. Um, I, I don't want to give away too much this early. But uh, when I was reading this, expecting to receive something, uh, we've been having a, a lot of conversation um, at work and between Rod and I, and I, I probably will, I'll just go ahead and apologize ahead of time. Uh, I will probably reference Rod a lot more than he wants to be referenced, but uh, we're in this every day, in it and out, um, you know, day in and day out. And, and the other brothers that are part of our little group, um, it, it's amazing and it's good to have fellowship and have people that you can talk with 
But we've been, we've been talking a lot about expectations. Amen. You know, the Bible says that without a vision, the people perish. If you can't see what you're walking towards, you're more than likely going to die in transition, trying to get there. If you can't see where you're headed or have some kind of goal in mind that you're expecting to attain or to achieve. And, of course, this being based biblically, our goal is to do the will of God, to serve him as much as we possibly can, as close to his perfect will as we possibly can, and he'll help us. Uh, Rod was wearing a, a bracelet today that said, God's new mercies. And, and it just spoke to me because, again, every single day God has new mercy. So he's going to do his part, but we've got to do our part. And so when we go through life and we are expecting to receive something, you know, it's, it's like if you don't uh, – I, I, just to give you an example, uh, my grandfather was also a pastor pastor of the same church for 41 years. Um, he had 14 kids. Um, he held five jobs at one time, and one of those was being a pastor, and that was his most important and his favorite. Um, but I remember this illustration from when I was a kid going to his church, and he would stand up on the platform, on the stage, and he would take out $5. Maybe it was a dollar. I can't remember that good. But either way, he had some money in his hand, and he said, who wants this dollar? or this $5, every kid in the building raised their hand. And he said, okay, all you have to do is come get it. But nobody thought he was serious. Nobody thought he was really going to do it until the first kid said, I'll go up there, you know, expecting to get this. But he had to put in the footwork first before he could receive what God had. You see, and, and one thing I love about this passage right here, just to kind of break this down, so Peter and John, they are heading – to the temple at the designated point of, of the time of prayer, the ninth hour, the Bible says. And this man was lame from his mother's womb, and daily, every single day, somebody brought him and laid him at this gate so he could ask for money, people to have mercy on him. But this says when he saw Peter and John about to walk into the temple, he asked for alms. And Peter, we all know how Peter is in his personality. He's what you see is what you get, and whatever comes to his face is usually going to just come out. And he said, look at us. And, and the guy was, you know, I, 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 I seemed to think that he was already looking at him like, what do you mean look at you? And then he looked, again, expecting to receive something. Now, again, I don't know about you when you read this passage, but when I read this passage, there is a higher level of focus at this point. Because the Bible says he already looked at him. Right. And then he fixed his eyes on him. Uh, Peter did. Fixed his eyes on the beggar. And then he gave them his attention. Okay, so, again, we talk about listening and hearing and the difference. The Bible says that those that have ears, let them hear. Mm-hmm. And let them also not just be hearers, but also doers. So there's, there's a second level here. So he already looked at them expecting to receive change just like everybody else was giving. But it says then he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something. So what I think in this situation is that the Holy Spirit had already quickened him to let him know what you're about to receive is not alms that will get you some food or buy you a little this or a little that. This is going to change your life. And then Peter said to him, 
Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, period. Now look at what Peter did. So if you expect something, then when it happens, it's not going to blow your mind. So Peter, when he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, mm-hmm. the Bible says he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Now, please think about this and see it. This man has been lame from his mother's womb. Mm-hmm. He was no doubt disfigured physically. He didn't have the muscular structure that everyone else had because he had not been using his legs. He was lame from his mother's womb. They had to carry him. So now Peter must have looked to other people watching this like some kind of fool. Why in the world would you pick this man up by his right hand and lift him and tell him to stand up and walk? He has not walked since he was born. Okay, so forget about learning to walk. Forget Mm -hmm. about if you see somebody who has a traumatic experience and they have a spinal injury or something that happens and they lose the the use of their legs, they have to learn again to walk. But the Bible says here, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He took him by the hand, he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now he goes from being lame at the gate called beautiful of the temple, from being lame to doing what? Walking and leaping and praising God so that everybody that saw him praising God knew that it was the same lame dude that they walked past when they walked into the temple. And now he's leaping and praising God and not just walking, not walking Mm -hmm. awkwardly, not taking a step here and there. This man Mm -hmm. is running and walking and leaping and praising God. So when you go into your situation every single day of your life, find something to focus on. If I can say, please focus on God, because there are so many distractions. There are so many things that come daily Mm -hmm. in and out of our lives, in and out of view, in and out of focus, that we sometimes fail to remember what it is that the big picture actually is. Um, So, again, this situation here just in itself, you have the expectations of Paul. Paul was looking for this, or Peter, he was looking for this to happen. And then you have the expectations of the, the lame beggar. He had an expectation, and God fulfilled it, and God took care of him immediately. Amen. But now I like the next part, verses 11 through 16 of Acts chapter 3. Credit where it's due. Verse 11 says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness 
in the presence of you all. Now, Peter and John used this opportunity to say, don't, don't get this twisted. Don't look at me because it's not my power. And in fact, he was sarcastic about it. Y'all look at us like it was by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. Right. No, no, no. It's the power of God, that name that is above every name, the only name under heaven by which men are saved, the name of Jesus Christ. There is power in that name. And please, if, if you're on this call and, and you happen to be a person who every now and then uses God or uses the name of Jesus in a way that's other than glorifying, please don't because there is power in that name. The Bible talks about the power in just the name of Jesus. I remember when my wife and I uh, first got married, we were going through some struggles. I don't even remember what it was, thank God. Um, but I remember one Saturday morning we were laying in the bed, and we were both worried. We didn't even want to get up. It, we just thought it was gonna, the situation was just going to end terribly. And my wife, who's usually the quieter one, if you can't tell, um, she said, laying in the bed, she said, this is going to sound crazy, but on the count of three, I want us to say Jesus three times. And I was thinking, you've got to be joking. Like, we're not praying, we're just saying Jesus three times. Now, as Rod said, I've grown up in church. My dad's been a pastor ever since I was born, before then, since he was 18 years old, and he's 63 at this point. So I know what the power of the name of Jesus is. But sometimes it's so difficult for us to see it in our own situation that it takes an outside influence or another person to say, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do something stupid to glorify God and see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? And so on the count of three, we said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm telling you, like, it was yesterday. I can feel the release and that burden just lift right off of us. And God just let us know, I got this. I'm going to take care of it. Look for it. And then when it happens, give me my credit. The Bible says that God will share his glory with no flesh. No flesh can receive praise. He will not like that. He will not allow it. The Bible says he is a jealous God, but he is a just God. But he is jealous for our attention. And what he does for us, he deserves the praise. He's, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. All right, let me get on, do like Brother Keyless and get to moving because I'm, I'm on, I've got 13 minutes left. Oh, boy. All right, so next point, get your mind right. Um, don't worry. Philippians 4, 6 through 9, let's read. Uh, I don't know if Ms. Mary's on the call tonight. I hope she is. Um, but last Friday, uh, we were sitting at work. I hadn't heard nothing Ms. Mary said all day long. She was just doing her work. And I heard her talking to a coworker who was sitting right next to her. And this is what I heard her say. The word says be anxious for nothing. Hmm. She doesn't know, but I was going through some things. I was anxious about some things. I was concerned about some things that were going on. But those are the words that I heard Miss Mary say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Amen. And continuing on here, it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, 
and the God of peace will be with you. The Bible talks about that peace that passes all understanding, that we don't understand how it comes, when it comes, or why it comes, but we know this, that when it hits, Mm -hmm. it is beyond a shadow of a doubt peace that comes from our Heavenly Father God. He's the one who can calm our troubled sea, whatever's going on in our lives, whatever kind of tribulations or, or things that cause us not to believe or to become distracted. He can bring peace to that where we won't even remember those distractions anymore. So make sure that we try our best. Now, I worry, and I just, I just said don't worry. Be anxious for nothing. That's scripture. Mm-hmm. But our human nature is to be concerned over things that we don't have control over. But what we have to do is give credit where credit is due. Walk in, the, in the, the path that he has set before us, and we don't have to be anxious. All right. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. I'll give you a minute um, to, to turn there. Um, I didn't put it in the outline because it's 29 verses. Um, and I know that uh, it's a lot of verses, but I'm going to go ahead and read 2 Kings 4, 8 through 37. Um, Let's go ahead and get started on that. One day, Elisha went to Shunem. A prominent woman who lived there persuaded him to eat some food. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. Then she said to her husband, I know that the one who often passes by here is a holy man of God. So let's make a small room upstairs and put a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp there for him. Whenever he comes, he can stay here. Verse 11 One day he came there and stopped and went to the room upstairs to lie down. He ordered his attendant, Gehazi, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her and she stood before him. Then he said to Gehazi, say to her, look, you've gone to all this trouble for us. What can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? I hope Achilles is shouting at this point, um, the commander of the army. Okay. So she answered, I'm living among my own people. So he asked, then what should be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. Verse 15, call her, Elisha said. I called her, and she stood in the doorway. Elisha said, at this time next year, you will have a son in your arms. Then she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not deceive your servant. The woman conceived and gave birth to a son at the same time the following year as Elisha had promised her. 18. The child grew and one day went out with his father and the harvest, went out to his father and the harvesters. Suddenly he complained to his father, my head, my head. His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. So he picked him up and took him to his mother. The child sat on her lap until noon and then died. Then she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut him in, and left. Okay. This woman is in a mess. Her son is dead, the son that God promised her. Notice she goes and puts him on the man of God's bed, shuts him in, and leaves. Verse 22, she summoned her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys so I can hurry to the man of God and then come back. But he said, why go to him today? It's neither new moon or Sabbath. She replied, everything is all right. Hmm. Now, in the King James Version, that says, she replied unto him, it is well. 24, then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, 
hurry, don't slow the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to his attendant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite woman. Run out to meet her and ask, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your son all right? And she answered, everything is all right. How can everything be all right? Come on, now. The only son she has is dead at her house. But she says everything is all right. That's twice she said it. Verse 27, when she came up to the man of God at the mountain, she clung to his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in severe anguish, and the Lord has hidden it from me. He hasn't told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Didn't I say, do not deceive me? So Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your mantle under your belt. Take my staff with you and go. If you meet anyone, don't stop to greet him. And if a man greets you, don't answer him. Then place my staff on the boy's face. The, mother, the boy's mother said to Elisha, as the Lord lives and you, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Does that sound familiar? Elisha said the same thing to Elijah. So he got up and followed her, the word says. Verse 31, Gehazi went ahead of them and placed the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or sign of life. So he went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy didn't wake up. When Elisha got to the house, he discovered the boy lying dead on his bed. So he went in, closed the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the boy. He put mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. While he bent down over him, the boy's flesh became warm. Elisha got up, went into the house, and paced back and forth. Then he went up and bent down over him again. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. He called her, and she came. Then Elisha said, pick up your son. She came, wow. fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. She picked up her son and left. Come on. Come on. Get Come your on. mind right. Okay, stop worrying about stuff that you can't control. If God promised you something, he will see it come to pass. He will bring it to fruition. God is not a halfway God. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's not just one who starts something and lets it just fizzle out or fade out. God is a God that answers prayer. Wow. And so this woman, her son is dead, in her lap, dies, heat stroke, kills him. She lays him on the bed. She goes to the man of God, but on the way tells her husband, don't worry about it. Everything's all right. She gets to the man of God, and he sends Gehazi out to say, are you okay? Is your husband okay? Is your son okay? And she said, it is well. Come on. You see, that's expectation. That's having your mind right, knowing that what God gives, he doesn't retract from you. God is not going to give you a gift and then snatch it back just to see how you deal with it on a regular basis. Now, we do see instances of that. When you look at Job, Job was the richest man in the East, the word says, and everything snatched, but God gave him back double. I, I remember a story that I heard my dad preach or say while he was preaching. I heard him tell it several times. There was this man who was a very affluent minister, um, but when he was a teenager, he was in a car accident, uh, some, some sort of traumatic accident. The paramedics came. He was there. Uh, they were about to carry him to the hospital. He motioned for his grandmother to come over him, to him, and he was trying to whisper something to her, but she couldn't make out what it was. So she got down close, and he said, "Grandmother, I've been called to preach." She started unstrapping him from the stretcher. 
They said, what are you doing, man? We have to take him to the hospital. She said, nope, God has called him to preach. Dead men don't preach. Get him off that stretcher. He got up off the stretcher. He never went to the hospital. He was made completely whole. But that was expectation. You see, do we believe God big enough? Do we believe that when God puts us in a situation, can we truly expect him to come through? Has he ever failed any of us? Come on. In my life, he never has. Not ever. There have been times that I thought he ran and left and was, was nowhere to be found, but he always came back through. Mm-hmm. He always took care of the situation way better than I thought he would ever do it. But God has his own way of handling things. But sometimes it's just to try our faith. James 1.1 1, 1 talks about that the trying of our faith works patience. That it, it, it makes it perfect. So get your mind right. Don't worry. Have your mind set that it is well. All right, let's move on. Ain't going to happen, 958. All right, set your expectations as a soldier. Number one, as a soldier, you have to know your enemy and his strategy. Hmm. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, I want to read that real quick. But this is part of, again, how, how you plan on going into battle and being successful. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 18 says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. My brother Rod has above his monitor at work the word hindrance and the definition underneath. I can't tell you how many times Rod and I have started to talk about something that needed to be said, and people who otherwise would just leave us alone and walk right past, would interrupt. It used to happen the same way to me and Achilles uh, when he was working there. Every single time somebody would come up and we just keep talking. And if they want to hear it, they stay. If they don't, they get moving. How do you deal with hindrances? Don't worry about it. The strategy of the enemy is to hinder you. He can't stop you. Let me say again that when God has called you and you are doing what you're supposed to do for God, the devil cannot stop you. All he can do is make it delayed, cause it to be a little longer that you have to wait. But the Bible says that we are paid for waiting in Isaiah. All right, let's move on to the next one. Number two, know who is going with you to battle. Deuteronomy 9.3, Exodus 14.14. Um, when you go in, now I, I'm obviously I'm talking about God here in this situation, but you've got to have some brothers and sisters around you who are in one mind and one accord with you. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? You have to have people that are surrounding you that build you up and that allow you to stir up that gift which is within you, the anointing of God, of the Holy Spirit, and the directing uh, there have been times that I've been sitting at my desk and just quiet and going through some things internally. And it, half the day could go by. Mm-hmm. Here comes Rod. How you doing? I'm, I'm good. No, you're not. <laughs> and then he stays over there and talks until I break through. Akilah used to do the same thing. I know what's going on. What's, what's happening? Talk to me. These people are important in your life. I'm going to tell you that when you go into a battle, There are times when your faith is shaken and rocked, but there are people that God places in your life that if you cultivate that relationship and you pray for each other and you strengthen each other, 
It's not the devil. You will put him on notice. You will set him to flight because the Bible says that if one of you can kill a thousand by your right hand, what can two of you do? What can ten of you do? So find somebody to go into battle with you. But even if you feel like you are by yourself, Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. chapter 9, verse 3 says this, Therefore, understand today that the Lord, your God, is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. God will go before you. God will take care of you in your situations, no matter what you're going through. He will take care of you. He he knows tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us do, but what we do know is that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's consistent. All right, Exodus 14, 14, trying to hurry here. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. The King James says, you won't even have to fight. Just stand still and know that I'm your God. God will do it for us. Set your expectations. Know your enemy, that he's there to hinder you. Know who is going to battle with you. And then rely on your experiences. First Samuel 17 and 37, I'm not going to go there and read it, but this is the story of King David when he's talking to Saul, and he's about to face the giant. And there's doubt as to whether or not he can get the job done. Mm-hmm. And David said, I was keeping sheep and a lion came up and grabbed one of them. And I came, I went to the the lion and grabbed him by his mane and killed him and got my sheep back. And then another time a bear came out of the woods and grabbed one of his sheep. He killed the bear. And he said, the hand of the Lord delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear, and he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. You see, David could say something like that because he'd already been through it. Right. Miss Mary shared some of her. I know y'all don't know who Miss Mary is. I'm sorry. Um, But she shared some of her testimony and some of the things that she's been through. Let me tell you something. When people go through stuff and they come out surviving, and not only surviving but thriving and living and and moving and having their being in God, you better listen when they talk because they have been through some things. My parents don't say anything to me that I take lightly anymore. When I was a teenager, yeah, I didn't listen to nothing they said. But now that I'm older, I understand that they went through it, and if I would have listened, I would have saved myself a lot of heartache. Rely on your past experiences and those of the people around you. Set your expectations as a soldier. All right. To close this out, have your plans ready to build the altar. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of of the Jordan. And each of you 
take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joseph set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Okay. The altar is coming. Come on. Now, through this passage right here, they're walking through the Jordan River. They are in the middle of the Jordan River. God has split the Jordan River so that they can walk across and not be drowned, not be undertaken or overtaken. And he tells them, pick up stones out of the middle of the Jordan River. Why? Because he had a purpose for those stones once they crossed over to the other side. You see, Joshua had an expectation that it wasn't going to be that they just made it to the middle of this river, but they were going all the way across because God told them to go across. I'm telling somebody tonight that if God has told you to do something, you better do what God told you to do. And don't think for one moment that he's not going to fulfill it because, again, God does not go back on his word. If God says for you to do something, that he will do something else. Everything else in the Bible is conditional. God never just says, oh, I'm going to give you this. He says, if you do this, then I will do this, or I will hear from heaven and heal your land and forgive your sin if you turn from your wicked ways, if you humble yourself and pray. It's conditional. But they had to pick up these stones. And you notice the word says that they had to shoulder them. These were not rocks they could hold in their hand. These were 12 stones, almost boulder size that these 12 strong men representing the 12 tribes of Abraham's children, by the way, who was told that he would have a son at, what, 100 years old, and his wife laughed, and then he had it, and then he was told to sacrifice him, and then he went up to the mountain to sacrifice him, and then God said, wait, hold on a second. Don't do that. But you see, Abraham had faith knowing, God, you gave me this son. You told me that from my seed, that my generations would be as much as I would have descendants, more descendants than that if you could count the grains of sand on the beach, then you would know how many kids he had. He had an expectation that God was going to deliver. If you read in Genesis in that story, and I'm, I'm walking all over this time limit, but if you read in Genesis, Abraham tells the men that are with him, mm-hmm. The boy and I are going to worship, and we will return. But here's the deal. God told him days before, you are going to go sacrifice your son. Mm. And I feel the Holy Spirit right now. Mm. How, does, how does God do that? Hey, go, go sacrifice your son to me. Kill him. But then Abraham tells them, The boy and I are going to pray. 
and we are going to worship, and we will return. Mm. That's expectation. Right. That's knowing that you are going to build an altar. Amen? The Amen. altar is coming. But you're not even to the place yet. You still got to do the work. It still looks crazy because you're in the middle of the Jordan River. You know that at any point, if these waters closed in, they would kill you just on impact alone. But if you read in chapter 3, the children of Israel are doubting. They are concerned about crossing this river. But just previous to that, God has split the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land, and then he swallowed up Pharaoh and his army in that water. How quickly we forget what God has done for us in the past. But Joshua told these men, as directed by the Lord, pick up these stones and take them across, and we are going to make a memorial there. We're going to build an altar. If you read back, Noah, after the flood, he built an altar to give praise and glory to God. And so that anyone that came there would know that God was the one who sustained them and who lives and reigns and is in control. Abraham built altar after altar. You can see all through the the Old Testament that they would find a place, they would build an altar to God. Not an altar where we've made it now, we come down to the altar and pray and ask for forgiveness. The altar was a place of celebration. The altar was a place of praise and worship to God. So you have to get your mind right and set your expectations knowing I'm going into this battle, but I'm coming out on the other side. And when I get out on the other side, I'm going to build an altar to my God so that I know and that he knows that, that my children, when they come and they say, Daddy, Why are all these rocks right here? You can say, let me tell you about a time that we were walking through the middle of the Jordan River and that God stopped the waters from coming in when the Ark of the Covenant crossed over. And we picked these rocks up and carried them across the Jordan River, and we built an altar. But this is the part that I love. Joshua didn't stop there. They then grabbed 12 more stones once they got across and built the memorial. They took them back into the middle of the Jordan River and built it so they could remember where they came from. Mm. You see, sometimes you got to go back and set up a reminder. Look what the Lord has done. Look Mm. where God took me from and where he has brought us to. We can turn around and see that that is the place where a lot of us thought we wouldn't make it another day. We wouldn't make it another minute. All hope was gone. It was over for us. God didn't hear us. He didn't want any money. He didn't want to send us any healing. He didn't want to deliver us from any kind of addiction. He didn't want to break any chains that bound us. That's what we thought. But look at us now. Look at what God has done. Don't forget what God has done. I know some of you, I'm in the middle of some trials right now, but I'm telling you, the altar is coming. There will come a day when I can stand. And I can say to my wife or to Rod or to Aquilas or the people who know what I'm going through, remember that time when God delivered me? Amen. Remember when I thought that it was over, mm. but God took care of me? Come on. Somebody tonight needs to get that in their spirit. Yes, I'm lame. I'm laying at this gate. I'm dependent on everybody else just to throw me something for sympathy and pity. But somebody's coming 
And when I ask of them, they're going to give me something that's going to change my life. When your dreams die and your desires die right in front of you, that's okay. You put them on the altar and you go talk to God about it. And you tell God it is well. You start talking to people and they say, how are you doing? Everything's great. I'm doing great. You get in a situation where you're waist deep in water. But the thing that I love most about this story about Joshua, the waters did not stop moving until he put his foot in it. Sometimes you've got to walk ankle deep before God comes through, sometimes knee deep, sometimes waist deep. But he will always provide a way out for you and for me. And when we get there, we have to be careful to praise him and give him the glory and the honor for what he's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, God, for this congregation of believers. God, maybe there's somebody tonight that's not a believer that just wanted to come in and hear and see what this is all about. God, I pray that they heard your word and that they didn't just hear me trying to be somebody or trying to sound eloquent or put together. God, that's not what it is at all. But I know, God, that I once was a sinner lost, sinner living in sin. Yes, Father. But your grace, God, you saved my soul, God, because your word says that if I believe in my heart, that if I confess my, with my mouth that you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you are yourself God as well as the son of God. Yes, Father. And Lord, that you washed away my sins, that you were buried three days, and in that time went and took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, Lord. And on that third day, just as promised, you rose again, and now you sit at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, God. Yes, Father. God, I thank you, Lord. You know the needs of everybody here, Lord Jesus. You know that every person would be on this call, that they would hear what's being said. And, God, you know, you knew that in this very moment mm-hmm. that you would touch somebody's heart and change their life, God. Yes, Father. God, we trust you completely, Lord. We have our expectations set to see you do something crazy good, Lord. Amazing, Father, that it will blow our minds, Lord, as your word says, that you will pour out a blessing that our cups cannot contain it, that we would not believe if somebody told us, God, you're that kind of God. Yes, Father. I thank you for those who you have delivered and who have touched, Lord Jesus, and you have broken those chains that bind them, God. In the name of Jesus, we commit this Bible study to you, Lord, at this time that we've had. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise because there is nobody on this earth that is worthy of that praise and honor but you. I love you. I thank you for who you are and for what you have called us to be. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.